In today's episode, we learn to count to 10 in 15 languages. Or is it 15 in 10 languages? Oh, well, I'll just tell you about someone who can do at least one of those. We learn why I'm not teaching Greek or Latin or any foreign language at a seminary. We discover why I'm very thankful my parents weren't biblical literalists. We find a place in the Bible where it gives clear, and I mean really clear, parenting advice. And we wonder if it is so clearly stated, why does no one pay any attention to it? We argue about how to describe the implement of Jesus' death and why that is in any way relevant to today's discussion. And we ponder what this all might mean to our response to gay people in our current times. All on the way to answering the question, what do parenting a sassy teenager, the crucifixion, and gay pride have in common? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. My wife, Sarah, loves languages. If she had the time, she would be studying several different languages all at the same time. She took French in school when our daughter went to Spain for a year. In college, my wife started studying Spanish. She's learned to count to 10 in 15 different languages for the sheer joy of it. And I have to tell you, honestly, I just don't get it. I'm not good with other languages, and I've never been good with foreign languages. My college required two full years of a foreign language, and I struggled the whole time. I took four years of German in high school. I passed three years of German in high school. I failed the very first year of German. I think my average for the end of that first year of German, well, I think I got a 59. When my report card came in for the year, my father sat me down in the dining room of our home to have a talk. It really wasn't much of a talk. Mostly it was his talking and my being silent. As he talked, he got angrier and angrier. This is absolutely unacceptable. You failed. Failed! You have to retake the whole year of German again, and you got an F. An F! The teenager in me decided that I had experienced enough of this, and it was time to, well, you know, push back a little bit. It was time to put things in perspective. So I went with the tried and true teenager excuse. Hey, you don't need to be so upset. It could have been worse. Now, I really didn't have any idea why I was going with this at that moment. I was just trying to change the tenor of the conversation. He fell silent, blinked, and just stared at me. Naively, I thought, okay, it's working. Then he asked the question, what do you mean by that? In that moment, I had a moment of inspiration. It suddenly dawned on me, it wasn't just an F. And are you ready for this? It was a high F. That's something to celebrate, isn't it? So I answered, it could have been an F minus. It was the closest I have ever seen my father to having a stroke. He exploded. They don't give F minuses. 
The conversation ended there, not because I had proven my point, but because I think my father decided that I had just said something so obstinately stupid that there was no sense going any further with this conversation. There's something special about raising teenage boys, and by special, I mean difficult and frustrating. Now, not all teenage boys fail German. That was my special talent. But with very few exceptions, most of them go through a phase in high school in which they're mouthy, stubborn, and rebellious. I remember taking a group of young high school kids on a summer trip one time and getting back from the trip and telling the parents of one of the boys what an absolute delight their son was to be around. They jokingly replied, oh, you must have mistaken one of the other boys for our son, because we have no idea who you're talking about. The kid who lives in our house, well, he can't make it through breakfast without being disagreeable and argumentative. And the morning that he goes off for school that we haven't already had at least two shouting matches with him, that is a rare morning indeed. As I've said before, I used to work with adolescents in an inpatient treatment program in Knoxville. And I have, over the years in my ministry, counseled actually quite a few families who were going through a rough patch with their teenagers. I have even used Scripture to remind parents of some of the guiding principles we're trying to abide by. But interestingly enough, the book of Deuteronomy offers a very specific plan for dealing with difficult boys. And yet, I will tell you that I never suggested reading it or even considered recommending it, and yet it is absolutely clear that it is intended as a solution to the most severe parenting problems. Deuteronomy 21, beginning at the 18th verse, says, If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father and his mother, who does not heed them when they discipline him, then his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the town at the gate of that place. They shall say to the elders of this town, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. Then all the men of the town shall stone him to death. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And all Israel will hear and be afraid. So there you go. Now you know why I never took the route of using this particular passage with parents. I didn't use it because, well, because I think it's wrong. There, I said it. I think a passage of Scripture is wrong. Now, let me be clear. I don't think Scripture as a whole is wrong. But I do have passages that I choose to believe God wants us not to follow those passages. Now, before you accuse me of being a crazy, scripture-denying, godless liberal, let me share with you the passage that takes place immediately after this questionable parenting advice passage. So, the parenting advice ends with verse 21, and in verse 22, we get the following. When someone is convicted of a crime punishable by death and is executed and you hang him on a tree, his corpse must not remain all night on the tree. You shall bury him the same day. For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. Oh, that's not good. This passage is clear that anyone hung on a tree is cursed. I mean, the obvious person who died by hanging on a tree, well, is, of course, Jesus. Does that mean that Jesus is cursed? 
Now, I can hear people responding immediately. Don't be stupid, Dan. This is the kind of shoddy scholarship that liberals use all the time. Jesus was executed by hanging on a cross. Clearly, it wasn't a tree. No one really confuses a cross with a tree. They aren't interchangeable. Matter of fact, the Bible says Jesus died on a cross. Very clearly. Where does it say he hung on a tree, huh? Well, I'm glad you asked. We could look at the book of Acts, the fifth chapter, 30th verse. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. Oh, so the Bible calls it a tree. Well, okay, they did say Jesus hung upon a tree. Okay, we give it that. But that doesn't change anything. Obviously, Jesus is a God incarnate, so he can break and reset the rules. He lived a life of such love and perfection that when he died on the cross, the rule about dying on a tree was shattered. It was no longer a thing because the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, well, that changed the rule. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So that's maybe what happened to the passage above it. Jesus lived, loved, gave himself, so we don't also have to kill our wayward children. Yeah, yeah, that works. That could be true. I believe that as a Christian that God's love, as we experience it through Jesus, has so changed the world that many of the old rules are out and new rules are in. Like the old rule about gay people. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, the Bible says some pretty clear things about homosexuality. Yes, it does. But none of them are any clearer than the passage about executing our wayward kids, and we have chosen to totally ignore that passage. And interestingly enough, Jesus is absolutely silent. He never says a single word about homosexuality. Oh, and by the way, Something Jesus does speak about rather clearly is divorce. And we've pretty much as a society decided to ignore those words. We ignore the passage on parenting because, well, let's be honest, those are our children. They deserve a chance to be loved, nourished, respected, and to flourish. And the gay people of our community, well, they're our children too. They're God's children, too. I was watching a video the other day. Evidently, somewhere off the coast of California, someone spotted and photographed an incredibly beautiful white dolphin. This suddenly became news and was carried by many TV stations in California. The picture circulated across the Internet. Why? Because this difference, it was probably an albino dolphin, this difference within the dolphin population was considered beautiful and worth celebrating. It seems to me that our differences should be just as celebrated. We see a white dolphin and we love it because of its beauty. We love beauty. But here's the question. Can we also see the beauty in love? everyone's love. I believe God can. So the real question is, can we? That's all for today. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you get notified of future episodes. 
Also, you can find me on Facebook and YouTube. Just search for SkyPilot FaithQuest. And if you'd like to get in touch with me by email, my address is dan at skypilot.zone. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot FaithQuest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions. Thank you.